Hey, before we get into this episode, if you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. That's going to help the show grow so we can try and impact as many people as possible and hopefully spread value to all those around us. So without further ado, let's get into this episode. I think paying attention to what you're eating, regardless of what you call it, has some positive aspects. I think we have to be careful sometimes because people sort of become highly restrictive about what they do and don't eat, and over time, that limits your nutrient density. Welcome to The Quest. I'm your host, Nick Horiades, co-hosted with my best friend, Cole Jameson. We're both lifelong athletes, fitness enthusiasts, and knowledge seekers. Each week, we're going to try and bring you the tools and skills necessary to help you embark on and win this journey of life. Without further ado... Let's get after it. Buddha once said, To keep the body healthy is a duty. Otherwise, we shall not be able to keep our mind strong and clear. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Quest. If this is your first time joining, welcome to the community. We are so glad to have you and cannot wait to hear what you think of the show. The Quest is where young adults discover the skills needed to achieve their version of success. This week's guest is certified nutrition specialist, Kimberly Young. Kimberly is a board certified nutrition specialist who has a private practice in Dallas, Texas. Kimberly's approach to nutrition is very focused on dietary and lifestyle modifications with a primary focus on getting your nutrients from whole foods. She uses a variety of diagnostic tools to evaluate her clients' unique needs and customize results-oriented programs based on their clients' goals. If you find this episode helpful, share it with a friend, talk about some of your favorite parts, and share the benefit that you get from it. If you've been enjoying the quest, or if this is your first time joining, make sure you subscribe and follow our show to get the latest updates and any episode notifications. You can follow our show on Instagram at The Quest Podcast to stay up to date with everything we're doing here at The Quest, and you can find that link in the podcast description. Throughout this episode, we dive into how to overcome the epidemic of obesity, even if you are predisposed to being obese, how the science around nutrition has evolved over time, one of the most inflammatory substances you can consume, and what you need to know to avoid it, a simple guide to knowing which foods are more likely to be healthier for you, and what you should avoid when picking foods, the pros and cons of fad diets, and what to know before you start one what yo-yo dieting is, why you may be doing it but don't realize it, and the long-term consequences it can have, tips on how to have a long-term healthy and consistent diet, and the three biggest mistakes people make when starting a diet and how you can avoid them. Guys, I can't wait for you to hear this episode, so let's get into it. So Kimberly, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited for this entire conversation because nutrition is one of those fields of study that there's a lot of competing interests and a lot of conflicting data and information that goes into it, especially this day and age where we have technology and Instagram is where people get most of their nutrition advice from. And it kind of leads to this scenario where you have dogmatic groups on every side of nutrition, whether you are 100% keto or you're carnivore or you're vegan or you're fill in the blank, nutrition has become this very complicated topic where people feel like there's a lot of information out there. It's just kind of hard to wade through it all. And so having you on the show, I think is going to provide a lot of clarity to that, especially with how you approach nutrition and how you approach nutrition with your clients and in your consulting practice. So thank you so much for joining us. And if you want to give our audience a quick background of how you got into nutrition and dietetics and kind of your why behind starting this consulting 
Let's see, I got into nutrition a really long time ago. I was in the environmental business for, for many years where I learned a lot about farming and conventional and organic processes, the, the way that people raise their vegetables and cattle and some things like that. So I was kind of always into nutrition. Food and its effect on your body and your long-term health has always been very interesting to me. And I, I don't think it's 100% you are what you eat, but I do think that what you put in your mouth affects you digestively, physically, mentally, and emotionally. And so kind of figuring out what's best for each unique person has always been very intriguing to me. I think that genetics has come full circle now, and we talk a lot about genetics and predisposition as it relates to the things you are eating and not eating and long-term chronic disease, which is the number one thing that kills people in our country is chronic disease. And so that's why I decided to get the, my credentials, get some foundation of science underneath what was already coming from my passion. So, and just learning to marry the two to see if I can have impact on, on people's lives. Yeah, that's awesome. And you hit on this interesting point that nutrition and science has come kind of full circle and started including genetics, which is honestly a really cool thing. And especially as we progress in technology and like different fields of study, you start to realize how different micronutrients affect your entire body systems and all these different things and why you need this vitamin and this vitamin, why you should stay away from this one. And you have an interesting article on your website all about the role genetics plays in obesity. And in America, obesity is one of those almost like an epidemic where there's a very, very high percentage of people who are classified as obese. And I'm curious, what is kind of that role that genetics plays in obesity? And how is that something that we can kind of understand better in order to make either better health decisions going forward, or if we are predisposed to obesity, be able to navigate that route in life? Obesity being quote unquote obese, however you measure it, whether you do a BMI or what have you, is really not what most people think of as obese. It's actually remarkably smaller. The genetic component of obesity, even before we had some of the advanced diagnostics that we have, you can look at your family and get a sense of what your genetic risk might be, whether that's being having high blood pressure, having high blood sugar, kidney problems, being overweight. Every person that's overweight does not have a metabolic condition. But when people are younger, they can look to their family and get some idea of, hey, okay, this is probably a risk factor for me. There are loads of diagnostics that we can do now. That genetics, uh, but also just monitoring blood sugar at a much more granular level than we did 20 years ago. We know a lot more now. Our diagnostic tools are a lot more uh, targeted, but as it relates to understanding what you need to do to unwind that, it's absolutely true. Everything is different. It starts with maintaining a normal weight at a younger age, exercise, moving your body, and staying away from processed foods. Those are the basic things. Start, you know, looking at your family history just because you have a genetic predisposition gene transcription the whole deal is it's turned on and it can also be turned off it's really figuring out what your risk factors are and sort of addressing them proactively no one's metabolism is getting faster so when you're 25 the things that you can get away with in terms of eating and lack of exercise is very different at 35. 
So to me, looking at, you know, obesity and just in general, how much processed food people consume, the younger generations certainly has become way more interested in, and way more proactive, right, about controlling their weight. It's not, not all about the number on the scale. It's really about going to the doctor and getting some of those diagnostics to start. You've mentioned processed foods a couple of times, and you even said that that was one of the things that kind of got you interested in doing this field of work and just, you know, how things are, are produced and how all the processes that we currently have are potentially leading to long-term negative effects on our body. Is there anything in particular through your studies and your research that you found that's like, these areas are extremely dangerous or this type of processed food leads to XYZ. Is there anything that's really scary out there? Oh, that's a loaded question. The thing that scares me, I think that that sugar, to be honest, is one of the most pro-inflammatory things you can consume. And it's sort of everywhere. So So there's that. The other thing that really concerns me is highly processed foods that are labeled in a way that make you think that it's healthy. That part I really struggle with. It's something like where you have this packaged product and on the front label it says it's organic and it's keto and it's antioxidant rich and it's gluten free and um, it only has 150 calories and you go, that's healthy. That seems healthier than a Snickers bar. But then you read the ingredients label And it's got 20 ingredients. The first 10, okay, I know what those are. The next 10 are like, what? They're highly chemical formulations. And then it tastes like chocolate peanut butter nirvana in your mouth. That and the consumption of that as though it's okay, those things I really struggle with. The average consumer, you know, looks at that front label and a marketing person has created that label and that's their job, but, but they don't really know what they're buying, but it has, it, it checks all the sexy things off from the front label. Like I should feel good about this choice. And, and that part over time, the first part to inflammation leads to a lot of other GI problems, things like that. I just, over time, nutrient depletion, there's so many things that are highly processed. i push my clients hard away from anything that's highly processed. Even if it's got all the right bells and whistle, I want them to kind of understand what they're, what they're eating. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of those things that until you hear it from someone like yourself or you hear, you hear about it somewhere else, you don't necessarily know that, oh, but it says it's supposed to be healthy for me. But then, like you said, you look at those ingredients, and you're like, what is this Latin? I don't understand any of these words on here. So with the idea of trying to be a little bit more informed about nutrition and trying to pick more holistic, less processed foods, what are some of those things that on the ingredients list that we should be really aware of that are either, as soon as we read this, we should completely avoid this? Or what are some of the things in terms of like how many ingredients should there be in something in order for it to classify as highly processed? It's a good question. I tell my clients, every client gets a clean pantry suggestion list. It's not for them to go and freak out and throw everything that they've got away. But um, I tell them if there's more than five ingredients, right, you need and you read those ingredients. If they make sense, like they're riboflavin or, or food coloring or what have you, 
if there's more than five ingredients and you have to Google what they are, it's probably really highly processed. Back to my my other comment about something that has all the right bells and whistles on the front label, you look at the back and it's got a load of ingredients, but it's got zero sugar. It's got zero sugar and it tastes like chocolate peanut butter nirvana in your mouth. Something's, something's up with that. One step further as it relates to things that are highly processed, you know, there's a lot of vegan foods that are labeled vegan and there's different brands, but you know, they look and taste just like uh, a burger that you might get from a restaurant, that's not normal for a plant-based food to taste like the burger that comes from a restaurant. Those, some of those things can, again, be highly processed. And it's, it is a professional opinion. All of the ingredients might be perfectly safe, but when you get them in combination and you introduce them into this, you know, this sort of human engine, we don't really know from person to person, how those nutrients are going to be received and absorbed. And it's just not the same across the board. And I, you know, as it relates to any kind of processed food, I want them to eat as close to the earth as possible. If there's more than five ingredients and you can't, don't recognize what they are, or I have to Google them, then I think that's a no, just generally. Once a week is, it, or, or at an event might be one thing, but generally no. Yeah. And I really love that too, because it's one of those things that having that number in mind of if it's more than five ingredients, then I actually have to look at this stuff thoroughly. I think that's really actionable advice. And that's something that's super simple that you can essentially apply in any situation you're in. You don't necessarily have to know where this was processed at, but if you can like kind of get a gut check feeling on those five ingredients, I think it's like setting yourself up for an easily to implement successful playbook when it comes to nutrition. And that's kind of one of those things where as you get more and more into learning about nutrition, hearing about all these different types of diets and all these stuff, it can kind of become really, really complex. And so when it comes to those types of diets and I guess with the increased popularity of social media and promoting different types of diets, do you think there are certain fad diets, whether it's a keto, vegan, carnivore, fill in the blank, that people should probably stay away from or do each of those different diets have a certain place when it comes to people's nutrition and overall health? I think all of the different variations have some positive aspects. I think paying attention to what you're eating, regardless of what you call it, has some positive aspects. I think we have to be careful sometimes because people sort of become highly restrictive about what they do and don't eat. And over time, that limits your nutrient density. It isn't all about the scale. You can be a really thin person who is very undernourished. So to me, they all have their benefits. But ultimately, I always want every person to choose something that they can really do and be sustainable with but not be so hyper-focused on it that they start eliminating nutrient density within their diet. The, the microbiome in your gut really thrives on diversity, really thrives on this concert of nutrients that you have at mealtimes. It's really not designed to uh, remarkably exclude all nutrient groups just across the board. It doesn't really, doesn't really work like that. I like what you said about or having an intention with what you're eating. I think that that is a benefit of, of some of these diets and just kind of paying attention to what you're eating. And maybe if you start a diet, that's the first time that you look at the back of a 
a label and then realize that it's got 45 ingredients that you've never heard in your life. And so I think that having that intention is is a really good first step. And one thing I wanted to ask you, you have an article on your website about yo-yo dieting. And would you be able to explain kind of what that means? And then I'll have a, a couple follow-up questions after that. The yo-yo dieting thing is fairly common. It's that I eat whatever I want, and maybe I gain 10 or 12 pounds. And then I go on a crash something, and I lose 10 or 12. Then I ride that for three months, and then I gain five back. Or, and then I do something else, and I lose 10. That's what I refer to as the yo-yo dieting. However you do it, whether it's calorie restriction, over-exercise, exclusion of food groups, however someone you know achieves their, quote, result at that time, it's one thing when you're younger to have a while, a, a, a larger fluctuation. And when I say larger fluctuation, you know, five pounds is one thing. When we get into 10 to 15 pounds of shrinking and swelling, as I call it, metabolically, as you age, that's very difficult on the major organs, primarily your, uh, your autoimmune and your endocrine system. And it happens to guys and girls. The, the older you get, the more harmful it sort of becomes to those major organs. So I discourage that. I like to see a gradual decline in someone's weight if that's what objectively they're after. But then I want to get them into a margin that's five pounds up and five pounds down. That is something that's manageable. But when we get into, and it's very common, 10 to 15 up, 10 to 15 down, that's problematic long-term, again, for, for the major organs, you know, so. Definitely. You hit on this idea that it's, as we get older, it's really hard on our autoimmune and endocrine systems. So for maybe someone who isn't very familiar with biology or kind of like how our body functions, can you give a little explanation as to why that's actually something we should be concerned about? Well, the thyroid organ is the most metabolic organ you have in your body. And when we get into the shrinking and the swelling, the thyroid can get dysregulated. It's not for, it's not for everyone, but it can get dysregulated. And most of the time you find out somebody has an underactive or an overactive thyroid, you know, late 20s, early 30s is a typical time frame. And there's other issues as it relates to your autoimmune system and its response to the things that you're doing to shrink or swell. Um, calorie restriction is one thing that's also hard on the thyroid. It's, it's always trying to regulate your thyroid hormone levels, but a, another part of that is body fat loss and body fat gain messes with estrogen, testosterone, and progesterone. And when you get those players in concert, and it happens to men and women, is when metabolically we're sort of disrupting this, this normalization process. And that sets you up for the problems more, most commonly late 20s, early 30s. And I'm not a doctor, so I hope that that um, uh, somewhat clarifies what I'm talking about. This notion that your hormones are separate from your thyroid or that your hormones and your heart and your thyroid are separate, are, are separate organs and don't work in concert is not true. The weight gain and, and or loss isn't just affecting the scale in your body fat. It affects hormone levels and thyroid function also. Yeah, that, that cleared it up pretty nicely. And in my experience, this kind of um, shrinking and swelling that you talked about is largely connected to 
diets from what I've seen, whether it's somebody feels like they're a little bit too heavy and they're going to try a diet and restrict X, Y, Z. They lose 20 pounds, feel great, stop dieting because it's not something they can do consistently. And then that weight immediately comes back. And before you know it, you're doing that yo-yo dieting that you talk about that's going to negatively impact you. And we live in a world that's so focused and controlled by like immediate results and we don't want to wait for anything and we're not patient and what advice or what do you have to say to your clients whenever they want to achieve a goal let's say they want to lose 10 pounds what do you say to them to find something you know consistent that works for them long term and that is not going to be so restrictive on what they're doing like how do you get them to trust that process and really you know, make it a long lasting result and success? Well, unfortunately, most of my clients have tried. <laughs> and it's like, I'm the last, you know, last stitch effort. Like I've done everything, Kimberly, and now I'm here with you. Um, like I'm the worst thing ever, but they've already done all, all of the diets. They've tried the juice cleanses. They've, they've tried a lot of stuff. And, you know, I try to encourage them to think about body fat and, and how they sort of evaluate their weight. You are more than the number on the scale. It doesn't mean a lot. You can be a very skinny, very unhealthy fat person and weigh the right amount. Your genes can still fit right. When someone comes to me, we talk more about turning their metabolism on than we do necessarily calorie restriction and weight loss. Uh, the only reason I focus them on that is because if each person, like even the three of us here, sorry, put our genes on and we felt like a rock star, then the scale doesn't mean anything. If you put your jeans on and they feel tight, then we have a problem. And that's kind of part of the deal. I try and encourage them to step away from measuring everything by the number on the scale and start turning on their metabolism in a way that generates hunger and satisfaction hormones where they don't have to fall prey to whatever next fad diet is coming or whatever cleanse is coming. The, the cleanses and the restrictive eating is not healthy for your body, and it's also not health, healthy for your for your mental status. And most of my clients, unfortunately, have tried all that, and they know that it didn't it didn't work, which is how they sort of end up with me. We use diagnostics uh, to kind of figure out where they're at, but ultimately, I encourage them to think about stimming their metabolism uh, and and a gradual decline in stored body fat versus hey, let's drive the scale down like a juice cleanse in ten days. Yeah. And that's one of those things that I feel like doesn't get hit on enough is that effect that dieting does have on your mental well-being. And it kind of gets into the eating disorder realm. And I mean, if it gets too ex that extreme, then like there's you actually really need to go see someone professionally to get that kind of help to get through those situations. And it can really it can really take a toll not only on you and your body, but also on those around you. And I'm curious in order to avoid or at least try and prevent falling into something as extreme as an eating disorder because you took this really bombastic approach to dieting, what do you think are the three most common mistakes people make when either starting a new diet or starting a diet for the wrong reasons? And then how can we avoid those in the future? I think one of the biggest mistakes is to choose something that is extreme, whether that's extremely restrictive or you can only eat these foods for 10 days. Those things, I think that's a mistake. 
listening to the crowd about how to do it is also, in my opinion, uh, a mistake. I think if you're going to think about even losing 10 pounds, doesn't matter how old you are, uh, anything, 10 is, 10 is a modest number. Um, and it depends on your body scale. Understanding that someone who's, you know, 5'2", losing 10 pounds is going to be harder than someone who is 6'2". It's just, just period. Just they don't have the scale there. But doing that without some uh, professional counsel and some diagnostics, I think, is, is a mistake. And then the other thing is sort of using it in a way to fix all the weight gain and the, the junk food you ate using an extreme diet, it's not a solution to the bad behavior in terms of how and why you, you ate in the first place. People eat for a lot of different reasons. Disordered eating doesn't always look the same. Eating disorder is, is way more common and farly, far, in my opinion, underdiagnosed out there. It doesn't look like what you are always looking for traditionally. It's That's been my experience. We all eat for different reasons. Understanding those reasons and exploring them in a safe space, whether it's with me or someone else, is the, is the first step for sure. There's so many things that I think are wrong about bad dieting, but as it relates to food obsession and focus on it, whatever it is, I'm going to do extreme keto, I'm going to do a juice cleanse or what have you, that thinking and getting into that cycle of it is, is always the thing that scares me the most. Nutrition and healthy living can seem really complicated and almost impossible to achieve. There's so many diets that have extreme guidelines and any deviation from them results in you feeling off track and can ultimately make you quit the diet outright. When it comes to nutrition and living a long-term healthy life, simple is best. If you can repeatedly follow a diet for long-term, you are far more likely to live a happy and healthy life. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to check out the podcast description for other similar episodes from The Quest. If you made it this far into the episode, I want to thank you on behalf of everyone here at The Quest. Your support means the world to us, and we strive every day to bring in the most value in these episodes possible. If you like this episode, if you've been enjoying The Quest, let us know by leaving a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll leave you with this quote from Robert Urich. A healthy outside starts from the inside. And if someone hasn't told you this already today, you matter you are loved, and you have so much potential. Now take action towards those dreams and get after it. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. If you found our message helpful or inspiring, make sure you tune in next week to continue on the quest with us. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and leave a comment letting us know how you heard about us. And remember to get after it.